On this prequel episode, we've got our Jumanji fan reaction. We're learning about Louisa May Alcott and previewing Little Women. Hello and welcome back to This Film is Lit, the podcast where we talk about movies that are based on books. It's a prequel episode. And for this prequel episode... Prequel... Pre- Give me a second. <laughs> On this prequel episode, we're previewing Little Women, as I mentioned before. Before we get to that, we have a new patron. And we give all of our patrons, uh, we do our normal routine patron shout-outs. And that includes our new patrons. And this week, our new patron is not funny, but I have money. There you go. <laughs> that's, a, a, that, that's a name you can make a Patreon. If you're not funny, you know, you didn't come up with a clever, but you kind of are because you came up with a clever. It's a paradox. It is. Came up with a clever Patreon name to say you're not clever and funny, but you did it. Ugh, who knows? And you were supporting <laughs> us at the Hugo Award winner level. We appreciate that. Thank you so much. As always, we have our Academy Award winners. They are Winchesters Forever. Oh, boy. Don't even want to get into that one. I wonder what your thoughts are. I do see that they changed it from Winchester's Never Die yes. to Winchester's Forever. I don't know if that has anything to do with the recent events, but we'll see. Um, Kelly Napier, Gray Hightower, Eli Young's Gratch, Just Gratch, Shelby Says Black Lives and Trans Lives Matter, Harry Styles Looks Good in a Dress, and Alina Dolet-Kolova. Thank you very much, all of you, for supporting us at the Academy Award winning level and getting your patron recommendations honored before anybody else this one's not though right little women um kind of it kind of is it's like a halfway we were gonna do it we were it was already version. on the schedule we were i was already planning to do it but we did have uh kelly napier mm-hmm. put in a patron request for little women and specifically for the 1994 movie so, so there we go so it it's like halfway gotcha. a patron request all right uh, let's go ahead and move on to our fan poll listener follow-ups for Jumanji. Yeah, well, you know, that's just like uh, your opinion, man. So on Facebook, we got eight votes. Six of them were for the movie, two were for the book. And we had a couple of comments. Um, I did do some light comment paring down this time. Yeah, we had a fair amount of comments. Um, Sarah said, I haven't read the book, but very much enjoy the movie. I haven't seen it in years, but now it's high on my need to watch soon list. I wouldn't say this movie was overall scary, but would say that there were definitely scary elements. That all being said, I don't remember ever turning down an opportunity to watch it. Mm -hmm. Colin said, the book is a well-done picture book with an interesting idea, but it's Robin Williams and the interactions with the adults and the kids that make this special for me. Robin Williams does tend to elevate most things that he's in. That's very true. Yeah. So. Um, Matt said, I chose the book, but possibly for different reasons than most. Jumanji came out when I was five, and it did not have the more friendly cover with the rhino stampede. It had the monkey cover. When I was a little kid, that stark black and white cover with the grinning, slit-eyed monkeys scared the heck out of me. 
there's an implicit menace to the monkey eyeing the girl in the doorway. No movie would be able to give me the anticipation I felt opening that book cover as a five-year-old, hmm. wondering what Jumanji meant and how those sinister apes figured into it. That being said, as far as a film adaptation of a picture book goes, it's about as good as you could hope for. Also, as someone who's been drawing since I was even younger than five, Chris Van Allsburg's illustrations were incredibly inspirational. I still love his artwork even now in my 40s. There you go. They are really cool. It's really cool. Yeah, he's a, yeah, a really good artist. Um, and the monkeys, that is a very menacing looking illustration. Mm -hmm. It's pretty creepy. And there definitely is the... Which, which even applies to the movie slightly. Obviously, with a trailer, it changes it a little bit. But that it is a good title in regards to not giving anything away. Mm -hmm. and just But it's mysterious. You're like, what does that mean? What yeah. is that? What yeah, is it's this? a good title. Um, and our last comment on Facebook, Charlene said, I'm a little older than you guys, so I still think of this as a movie from my childhood. I was 12 and 95. But I had also read the book when it was just a book. I do remember really enjoying it, but the movie obviously left a much bigger impression on my young mind. Mm-hmm. Not that much older than this. No, not, not that five much. Five years. Like five so, years, six yeah. years. So on Twitter, we had 14 votes. 11 of them were for the movie and three were for the book. So the movie won pretty handily yes. this time, which was kind of what I was anticipating. Yeah. Um, Shelby and I actually talked about it a little bit that um, a lot of people I would surmise either haven't read the book or maybe don't remember the book yeah. from their childhood. I didn't. Yeah. I did vaguely remember when I once I saw some of the pictures, it did somewhere in my head mm -hmm. rang some bells, but I didn't have a vivid memory of it. Yeah. But it did. I was like, oh, maybe I did see that at some point, but it could have been after the movie. Like, you know, because I'm sure it right. researched in popularity. I don't know, but yeah, uh, definitely the movie was. Yeah, I think it's definitely one of those ones that if you don't like frequently interact with children's literature, you might not be aware yeah. that it's even a book. And I, I would say like comparing that to his other one that we're <laughs> coming up, uh, the Polar Express, is that that one I think everybody yeah knows as a book. Yeah, you know that sure. was so one of the most popular Christmas you know children's book of my generation and mm -hmm. probably you know still is to some extent so uh, yeah I, that that one kind of in comparison i would say that one i wouldn't be surprised if a lot of the people had read the book and had more fun yeah of the I, i'm interested to see when we do that one coming up next <laughs> um how how the breakdown compares yeah. for that because I, I would bet that more people prefer the book that's my prediction oh yeah because it's not a, it's also not a particularly well loved movie. Yeah, I've I've gotten that. I've never seen. <laughs> I've the never movie, seen but it. I've, I've seen that vibe. Five minute chunks as while flipping through. Yeah. TV before, but I've never seen the movie. So, anyways. Anyway, we had a couple comments on Twitter. Uh, Gray at Gray Hightower said, "I chose the movie over the book. The visuals in the movie versus the book spun the wheels in my imagination a bit more." I actually wrote a short story in seventh grade about what would happen if I played the game. Um, the ditches behind my house became rapids, mm. among other things. Um, so the movie was something that sparked a that's always creativity. the highest of praise. For I, I think so. Yeah. If, if your if your piece of media sparks uh, the creative um, juices flowing in in somebody else, then yeah, that's high praise for your your piece of art. Yeah, I think so. 
Kelly Napier at Standby for Live said, The movie, Robin Williams, is on point, and I like the addition of making the game board a cursed object that never truly goes away. And I agree with Brian that the end with the dice falling on the final turn is cinematic gold. No comments so far about the sound of it specifically, though. (laughs) Nobody commented about how it's specifically, for me, I mean, the whole scene's great, but that sound, I don't, it's just... It's similar to cinematic ASMR. Yes, it really is. It's like the same thing. um, It's similar to and this is before I even liked watching hockey. The sounds of hockey, Mm. not like the announcers and crowd, but just like like the puck, the puck and the sticks and like hitting the like. Yeah, those sounds are also very like it's not really (laughs) ASMR in the same way, but it's a kind of a similar thing. I find them very satisfying and Mm -hmm. like nice sounding. I don't know. All right. Shelby, at Shelby Suderman, was the voice of opposition for us on Twitter. Um, Shelby said, I picked the book because I really like the art style, and I appreciate how the house and the game look more average for what the book is doing. The book provides some broad ideas and gives the audience room to imagine the potential with the game if it happened to them, while the movie needs more defined characters because it's doing something different. Besides that, I'm always going to pick a fictional volcano over a fictional monsoon, though the crocodile was fun. I don't usually like monkeys, but the illustration of them all clustered around the board watching the kids play is cute. And if you don't like monkeys, you wouldn't like them in the movie. Because I think monkeys can be cute and fun or, you know, all kinds of different things. They're very, you know, because they're so... um... Yeah, I mostly, I mostly think monkeys are creepy. I, I like, in general, <laughs> primates, monkeys. I think they're really cool. And so, but the ones, that being said, the ones in this movie are particularly, like, strange and creepy looking. Because, yeah. They, yeah, they, they like, have an uncanny valley-ness mm-hmm. to them because of the CG. A few other notes here. Shelby also said, I always read the Motel 6 joke as a dig at their aunt wanting to use the house for a bed and breakfast. Because motels are their competition. I always forget about that plot point. Yeah. I literally always... I mean, always, it's just something that she briefly she mentions, once, really. Yeah. Like, and then I, I, as a kid, I never remembered that I mean, part. it's not really important. No. And and then I just never thought about it because they never bring it up again. It's just yeah. like they're living there is what it seems like. And so to me as a kid, it was just like they were just living there or whatever. I think that makes sense. But it does though. make yeah. sense. It totally makes sense. And uh, it was a good point. Good put together. Um, We also did hear from both Shelby and April, two of our Canadian listeners, that there are Chuck E. Cheeses in Canada, which is too bad for Canada. How dare you? (laughs) How dare you? I love Chuck E. Cheese as a kid. I would go there as much as I could, which wasn't like once a year, but (laughs) I used to love Chuck E. Cheese. See, my experience with Chuck E. Cheese is primarily going there when I was too old for Chuck E. Cheese with my younger siblings. Chuck E. Cheese is like a nightmare zone to me. It, It is bad, and there's different levels. There's really bad Chuck E. Cheese, and there are better ones. Like There was one near my house that was real mediocre bordering on bad and then there was one that was further away in like the ritzier parts of town uh-huh. that was bigger and fancier and cooler um and but uh, both of them were dwarfed by the much superior tumble drum um which <laughs> I have was, no memory of that i don't remember tumble no. drum tumble drum was a st louis and I, I assume it was probably a regional chain i don't actually yeah. know um, but it's like Discovery Zone, if, you, if that that which was also probably a regional chain. Do you remember <laughs> Discovery Zone? I never went there, but I recognize the name. So the Tumble Drum was a like a, the one by us was a three story, um, 
played place mm-hmm. like just hu- huge like ginormous gigantic uh you know play place like three stories tall but they also had a gigantic arcade um so it was like the best of both worlds because chuck e cheese didn't really have like the cool like play place thing yeah but they had pretty good arcade games and stuff tumble drum had both uh anyways it doesn't matter uh, yeah <laughs> I, mean, I only loved it because we used to occasionally now and then with like a Boy Scout thing or something, we'd get to spend mm, the night there mm, as like we'd get to stay the night at Tumbledrum and play till like three in the morning. That's kind of cool. Yeah. Um, yeah. My memories of place to Chuck E. Cheese and like places like that are primarily being like 13 and, you know, too cool for school and yeah. having to go into the play place to wrestle my younger siblings out of them. Mm, yeah. Especially if you, yeah, if you were never a video game person. No. So then it, yeah, because that was what I, once I got older, that was what I liked there was just playing like video games and stuff. But yeah, once you hit, because yeah, you're too old and too big for the play place. But yeah, yeah. anyways. Uh, and I did find out because I talked about Showbiz Pizza. Chuck E. Cheese bought Showbiz Pizza eventually. Oh. And so, so that that's why like, a... like Showbiz Pizza would tend to be more a thing like in the 80s. Uh huh. And then sometime in the late 80s or 90s or whatever. Chuck E. Cheese bought, and some of them I think still were showbiz, but they also yeah. transferred the names over to Chuck E. Cheese for some. Anyway, so that's what the thing. Interesting. Was. Anyways, uh, that's it for our <laughs> fan feedback that, and our and our uh, our pizza and play place of preoccupation talk. I'm gonna start a new podcast. It's just about like uh, combination play place food. Uh, we got like Dave and Buster's and just get like all of those places. Just talk about those for hours. Anyways, that's it for that. Let's move on. We've got a learning things segment this week. We're talking about Louisa May Alcott. No matter what anybody tells you, words and ideas can change the world. So I think this is probably the only property that we'll ever do by Louisa May Alcott. So I figured we should talk about her. That makes sense. For our, our Learning Things segment. Um, she was an American novelist, short story writer, and poet, best known as the author of Little Women um, and its sequels, uh, Little Men and Joe's Boys. <laughs> I didn't know there primarily. was one called Little Men. Yes. Oh, yes, there is. That's some Ready Player Two shit. <laughs> 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 Little Men. Uh, Alcott was raised in New England by her transcendentalist parents. Uh, She grew up among many of the well-known intellectuals of the day, Ralph Waldo Emerson, Nathaniel Hawthorne, Henry David Thoreau, uh, Henry Wadsworth Longfellow, if you ever had to take an American literature class. (laughs) Those names. Just like the entire syllabus, basically. Yeah, I I saw that when I was doing some of my movie research, and I was like, wow, that's that's a heck of an upbringing. (laughs) An interesting upbringing. Yeah. So suffice to say, you know, she had the background and the connections to go on to become a well-known novelist. Yeah. Um, her family life was also interesting. Uh, she apparently realized very early er- early on that her father was too impractical to provide for his family. Um, he was a good guy, but he was not very good at providing for I them. read about him and saw some of that. He was like a philosopher. Yeah. And very much a, he was like an abolitionist and a women's right. Like he was like into some pretty progress, like really progressive Yeah, kind causes. of ahead of his time. Yes, but was also, from what I read, it very briefly um, stuck so strictly to his sort of values and mm-hmm. stuff that it, it, it was to detriment of his family in terms of like... Yeah, Occu- they like were 
occupations and stuff. They were very poor. Like, I remember one, I don't think you have it here, that he was offered a job, like a very lucrative job teaching at one point, mm -hmm. and he turned it down because he didn't agree with the school's, every single element of the school's, yeah. like, curriculum or whatever. So yeah. it was like, yeah, that kind of thing. Yeah. <laughs> Which is, you know, there's something to be said for standing up for your values, but also if you're going to have a kid, <laughs> a family, right. you have to figure out a way to not have them starve. <laughs> One thing that I do have a note on uh, <laughs> that he attempted um, was uh, a an agrarian utopian community called Fruitlands or Fruitlands. Not really sure mm -hmm. um, that he founded um, that was a huge failure. So it was this like attempt at a commune, basically, um, based on their transcendentalist values. Uh, if you want to know more about it, Louisa May Alcott wrote about it in Transcendental Wild Oats, hmm. which is a prose satire that she wrote um, originally published in 1837. Um, but it was, yeah, it was this thing that her family, primarily her father, tried to do that was a stunning failure. Um, and according to what I found was what really kicked off, like, her vast concern for the welfare of her family. Yeah. If you're going to try to start a commune, uh, don't include, and who knows if they actually did, if this is writing after the fact, but if. Don't don't include the word utopian in there, like in your <laughs> like in your pitch meeting for it. Don't call it a utopia because that's not guaranteed not going to go well. Just I mean, you're really you're setting yourself up for yeah. failure at that point. Just call it like a a co-op or something. Yeah, like you know, don't don't add in utopia. A really nice farm. Yeah, that's what we're building. Um, so Louisa May Alcott uh, worked for basically her entire life to help support her family. Um, she worked uh, as a domestic. Um, she taught for some of her life, and she also worked as a writer. Uh, she began to get receive critical success for her writing in the 1860s. Does, real quick, does work as a domestic just mean like like housework? housework yeah, kind of, okay. like that's a, what I figured. Um, Maid work, yeah, okay. cooking that type of yep, thing. Okay. Um, so early in her career, she wrote under pen names. Um, she wrote under Flora Fail Fairfield and under the name A.M. Bernard. Um, and primarily what she wrote under her pen names were pot boilers, um, works produced to help her make a living by catering mm. to popular taste. Um, lurid short stories, sensational novels, um, stuff for adults that was focused primarily on like passion and revenge. Yeah. So the Twilight novels of the era, <laughs> except for adults. The <laughs> romance novels. Uh, yeah, like era, romance probably, novels, yeah. Um, yeah. you know, precursor to like detective type. Yeah, yeah like, pul uh, yeah, yeah, like pulpy. Thrillers, pulpy yeah, stuff, pulpy yeah. stuff. And despite, you know, being that kind of like potboiler work, uh, those works were actually unique in their depictions of women, um, women. Typically, she portrayed them as, like, strong, self-reliant, imaginative, um, stuff that a lot of other writers of the time weren't really doing. Um, Alcott volunteered as a nurse at the beginning of the American Civil War. Um, she contracted typhoid, 
um, from unsanitary hospital conditions, imagine that, and was sent home. Um, her health never fully recovered, uh, but she did publish some of her letters in book form called Hospital Sketches, which was successful and kind of brought her her first taste of real fame. Um, so she was already writing at the time of Little Women, um, and because her family needs were pressing, she went ahead and wrote Little Women, which was an, an immediate success. Hmm. Um, it really gave her the fina like financial independence and kicked off a lifetime writing career. Um, she then followed that success with further domestic narratives that were drawn from her early experiences. Um, an old-fashioned girl, Aunt Jo's scrap bag, the aforementioned little men, eight cousins, Rose and Bloom, and Joe's Boys. Um, Alcott spent the last two decades of her life in Boston and Concord, caring for her mother, who died in 1877 after lengthy illness, and her father, who died in 1888. Um, her own health, which, like I said, never quite recovered, um, continued to decline, and she actually died just two days after her father. Um, she's buried in Sleepy Hollow Cemetery in Concord. Wow. On Authors Ridge, she's buried near Thoreau and Emerson. Uh, there's a Civil War veteran marker on her gravestone. During her lifetime, she produced almost 300 literary works. So I think we could call that prolific. Yeah. Um, her books for younger readers, namely Little Women, have remained steadfastly popular. Um, some of her lesser-known works have been republished more recently. Um, there's been kind of a renewed critical interest in her stuff that she wrote for adults. Hmm. Um, her more gothic and lurid tales and thrillers have also been collected and republished um, posthumously. Um, so uh, Alcott was an abolitionist and a feminist. She remained unmarried through her life, never had children, although she did adopt one of her sister's daughters after her sister passed. Um, all through her life, she was active in reform movements such as temperance and women's suffrage. Uh, she, she would contribute to several publications that promoted women's rights. She was also the first woman to register oh. to vote in Concord, Connecticut. Um, along with Elizabeth Stoddard, Rebecca Harding Davis, and others, Alcott was part of a group of female authors during the Gilded Age who addressed women's issues in a modern and candid manner. Um, her works were, as one newspaper columnist of the period commented, among the decided signs of the times. Mm. All right, that's going to do it for our Learning Things segment. Let's move on. And preview Little Women, the book. Joe. If I were going to be a writer, I'd go to New York and pursue the stage. Are you shocked? Very. Meg. What's that strange smell? <laughs> You've ruined me. Beth. What's your Christmas wish? Perhaps we could send the Hummels our bread. They have so little and we have so much. Amy. I've waited my whole life to be kissed. And what if I miss it? I promise to kiss you before you die. All right. So Little Women was published in 1868. It is set in a fictionalized version of the Alcott family home in Concord, Massachusetts. 
um, and loosely based on Alcott's childhood experiences with her three sisters, Abigail, Elizabeth, and Anna. Um, scholars classify the novel as autobiographical or semi-autobiographical. Here's a fun fact that I thought was really cute. Um, while she was still alive, Alcott readily corresponded with readers who addressed her as Miss March or as Joe. She did not correct them. Oh. <laughs> um, Little Women was originally published in two volumes, one in 1868 and the second in 1869. Um, Alcott wrote the book over several months at the request of her publisher. Um, her publisher, um, whose name was Thomas Niles, he recommended that she write a book about girls that would have widespread appeal. And at first, she did not want to do that. Uh, she would have rather written a collection of short stories. Um, she actually confided to a friend, I could not write a girl's story knowing little about any but my own sisters and always preferring boys. She later recalled that she did not think she could write a successful book for girls and that she did not enjoy writing it. Hmm. Um, and when she sent the first dozen chapters to her publisher, they both agreed that they were boring. <laughs> um, however, uh, the publisher's young niece read them and said that she enjoyed them. So the completed manuscript was shown to several young girls who agreed that it was splendid. Um, Alcott wrote, they are the best critics, so I should definitely be satisfied. <laughs> and I, mean, I think that's fair. If your target audience likes it, yeah, like you did something right. Yeah. Um, so Little Women, as I said earlier, was an immediate commercial and critical success. Um, readers were demanding to know more about the characters. The first printing of 2,000 copies sold out quickly, and the company actually had trouble keeping up with demand for additional printings. Um, Alcott quickly completed a second volume, which was titled Good Wives in the United Kingdom, although this name originates from the publisher and not hmm. from her. Um, and it was also successful. The two volumes were then reissued in 1880 as a single novel titled Little Women. Um, Alcott wrote two sequels to her popular work, both of which also featured the March sisters, Little Men uh -huh. and Joe's Boys. There you go. Um, according to American literary historian Sarah Albert, Alcott created a new form of literature, one that took elements from romantic, with a capital R, mm. children's fiction, and combined it with others from different types of sentimental novels, um, resulting in a totally new format. Um, now, Alcott had been commissioned to write a story for girls, and her primary her heroine, Joe March became a favorite of many women. Um, she is arguably the prototype girl protagonist who reads mm. and writes. Um, is she played by uh, Emma Watson in the new one? No. Oh, I thought she was the writer in that one. Is she not? Mm -mm. Oh, never mind. I but, just only seen. I mean, it is I Joe March from which we get other of Emma Watson's characters. Sure. I mean, she's the prototype for like your Hermione's, your Bells. Is it a uh, um, sorcerer? Yes. That's right. Yeah. That's right. Okay. So the girl story became a new publishing category with a domestic focus that paralleled boys' adventure stories, um, which is something that scholars have been critical of, uh, noting that in some ways it caused women's fiction to be pigeonholed into um, hearth and home mm. children's stories. 
On the title, uh, some scholars think that when using the term little women, Alcott was drawing on its Dickensian meaning, um, meaning it represented the time period in a young woman's life where childhood was overlapping with young womanhood. Um, And I would agree that today little women would probably be classified as young adult uh, but that publishing genre didn't exist yet. It would be at the titled time. YA Women. <laughs> <laughs> um, others have suggested that the title was meant to highlight the unfair social inferiority, especially at that time, of women compared to men. Poor Kane Elastos. I agree. <laughs> she, we know she's clever enough. <laughs> So at the time, young girls perceived that marriage was their end goal. That was just the social norm of the day. Um, So after publication of the first volume, many girls wrote to Alcott asking her who the little women marry. Alcott particularly battled the conventional marriage plot in writing Little Women. No spoilers for you here. Good, because I know nothing. I know literally nothing. I know, and I'm very excited. Uh, The way that this turns out is one of the more quote-unquote controversial aspects of the novel. We'll talk about that in the episode. Um, Another thing that I want to make sure we discuss in our main episode is Amy March, the youngest sister. Mm -hmm. which She's another controversial aspect of the story. Um, she's often described as the least likable of the four, si- four sisters, and a lot of readers have strong feelings about her. I was following a Twitter discourse today wow. about Amy March. Okay. A lot of people disagree. I, I want to mention those two things here to kind of like... Put them in people's like heads. Put them in people's heads because those are two things that I'm really interested to discuss with you because you know nothing about this Literally story. nothing. Yeah, that's so fascinating. I know there's to one me. who's a writer from that one trailer. And Emma that's Watson it. thinks she should be a writer, maybe. I don't remember. I remember nothing. I don't even remember that trailer. I just remember <laughs> that there's one of them's a writer or something. And then there's like some other people. <laughs> I, don't, I don't, I truly don't know anything about this story. I've never seen any of them, never read any of it. And, and for whatever reason, have missed any sort of cultural references. And unlike certain things like, um, you know, like certain Jane Austen novels, like mm-hmm. where I have some cultural mm-hmm. osmosis up, which I, I've even seen, like I've seen Pride and Prejudice years ago, but like I don't remember much about it. But, you know, I have some sort of with this. I have nothing, no nothing of it. So that should be fun. All right. Let's go ahead and preview Little Women 1994. Four sisters followed their dreams. Joe, you have so many extraordinary gifts. How can you expect to lead an ordinary life? You should be writing from from the depths of your soul. Found their love. Why must we marry at all? Why can't things just stay as they are? I have loved you since the moment I clapped eyes on you. Daddy, please don't ask me. The 1994 film was directed by Gillian Armstrong, uh, also known for My Brilliant Career, Oscar and Lucinda, Charlotte Gray. Uh, it was written by Robin Swickard. Swickard? Swickard? I don't actually know how to pronounce that. I don't know. Uh, who also wrote The Curious Case of Benjamin Button, which we've done, Memoirs of a Geisha. She was one of the screenwriters on Matilda, which we've done, uh, Practical Magic, and the Jane Austen Book Club. Mm-hmm which she also directed. So lots of experience with adaptations. Yes, yes, lots of adaptations um and lots of female led yes um definitely properties. 
Uh, the film stars Winona Ryder, Gabriel Byrne, or Ga- Gabriel, I don't know how to say his name. Gabriel, probably Gabriel. Yeah, probably Gabriel, Gabriel. Byrne. Uh, Samantha Mathis, Claire Danes, Kirsten Dunst, Trini Alvarado, Christian Bale, Eric Stoltz, and Susan Sarandon. The film was nominated for three Academy Awards, including Best Actress for Winona Ryder, Best Costume Design, and Best Original Score. Uh, it was actually the third uh, Little Women film, and now I guess the uh, four, because I think all four of them have been now. Uh, or, or it was, I think all of them, every single Little Women film that mm-hmm. has been made, adaptation, has been Oscar nominated. Nice. I believe, because I know that this one, when I was doing reading this, said that it made it the third one after the like 1931 and the 1940-something-9 mm-hmm. one. Um, but also the the... 2019 one was also mm-hmm. at least for something i'm sure yeah i'm pretty positive like i think source ronin might have been nominated i can't remember um the film is 92 percent fresh on rotten tomatoes and has an 87 out of 100 on metacritic uh here's a few uh critical uh <laughs> takes from the time which i thought these were interesting roger ebert of the chicago sun times awarded the film three and a half stars he called it quote a surprisingly sharp and intelligent telling of Louisa May Alcott's famous story and not the soft-edged children's movie it might appear. He also added, It grew on me. At first I was grumpy, thinking it was going to be too sweet and devout. Gradually I saw that Gillian Armstrong was taking it seriously. And then I began to appreciate the ensemble acting with the five actresses creating the warmth and familiarity of a real family. Uh, So he went in... With low expectations. Yeah, and was sounds like over. it. <laughs> uh, Edward Guthman of the San Francisco Chronicle called the film, quote, meticulously crafted and warmly acted and observed that it is, quote, one of the rare Hollywood studio films that invites your attention slowly and elegantly rather than propelling your interest with effects and easy manipulation. A uh, film ultimately grossed $50 million at the box office against a budget of just $18 million, which made it a pretty significant financial success. Uh, going back to the production, it actually took Little Women about 12 years to find a studio. Now, obviously, there have been two of versions of this made back mm-hmm. in the 30s and 40s, um, but it had been quite a while since somebody had uh, made a version of Little Women. It took them 12 years from the time the producers and stuff were involved in trying to get it made. According to Robin Swickard and producer Denise DeNovi, uh, people just, quote, people just weren't interested in a movie with a lot of women. In the industry, films like Little Women were referred to as, quote, needle in the eye pictures. They were assumed to have no appeal to male audiences and deemed not worth the risk of production. Uh, eventually, though, Columbia did agree to consider the project under the condition that Winona Ryder would play Joe. Hmm. Sort of like Winona Ryder's big enough. She'll pull people. We can do it if the, even though this is a boys it's won't want to watch it. Bullshit thing. It's, it's such, still a thing. I know it's, it's still not a even, thing. Yeah. It's such a bullshit thing because there are so many movies that this system of determination would absolutely determine that female audiences would have no interest in. Am oh, I wrong? Female audiences. Am yeah. I wrong? Yeah. No, you're not wrong. Yeah. No, and 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 it's also just bullshit because it's obvious that. There are tons of movies that even that even if male audiences weren't interested in are still incredible financial successes yeah. because they're half the population is yeah. women or what like, you know, so it doesn't. Yeah. Even if that were true to some extent, it's yeah, obviously reverse it. And then there's that. But also it's just like it's not even doesn't even matter for this. Like 
tons of like romantic yeah. movies like, even and, if, like even if you're right you're wrong yes even if you're <laughs> right you're wrong it's so stupid uh, when co-writing, director Gillian Armstrong chose not to look at previous adaptations of the book, but instead decided to stay true to the novel. Well, we'll see about we'll see that. We'll see about that. We'll see. Among those to read for the role of Amy were the then-unknown Natalie Portman and Thora Birch. But ultimately, according to uh, director Armstrong, Kirsten Dunst blew the other young Amy candidates out of the water. Take that, Natalie Portman. <laughs> We've talked about Kirsten Dunst. She was fun, uh, uh, incredible in um, uh, the vampire movie. We, interview with the yeah, vampire. interview with yeah. the vampire, yeah, yeah, yeah. and about how good she was at such a young age, and like she was kind of blew us away in that movie. Um, and I and that's only a year, a couple years before this, I think. Yeah, like, this is ninety four. I think that was probably like well, that was like nine ninety two. Yeah, like say. just a couple years yeah, before that. So she's years. right around the same age. Um, and yeah, she was dynamic in interview with the vampire so so uh this is kind of interesting this is the first movie to have amy played by two different actresses mm. um because there's a time jump or whatever and there's two different timelines uh and they originally kind of weren't sure they went back and forth on it but they eventually landed on going with two different actor or actresses uh, and their decision for the role of older amy was between reese witherspoon and samantha mathis uh, Gillian Armstrong's choice for the role was Reese Witherspoon, mm -hmm. but specifically that was for if it was going to be played by one, if Reese Witherspoon was going to play both young and old version, mm -hmm. if one actress was going to play both versions, Gillian Armstrong wanted Reese Witherspoon. But then when they decided ultimately to make it two actresses and they, they cast Kirsten Dunst as the young version. And then, uh, the casting director chose, um, Samantha Mathis is the older version, but they liked Reese Witherspoon for the both versions because she was short <laughs> or something is what it sounded like. <laughs> uh, so the initial candidate to play Bayer, I don't know how to say that. Guy's I believe name. it's Bear. Bear. Okay. Uh, Professor Bear or something yes. like that. Yeah. Uh, at least for uh, producer DeNovi was Hugh Grant saying, mm. quote, we all had a huge crush on Hugh, end quote. However, the casting director and uh, director Armstrong thought that Grant was too young and too confident to play the bear of the book that Fraser, DeNovi, and Armstrong wanted. Interesting. Apparently, Hugh Grant much too confident. They wanted him much more, so they ended <laughs> up on Gab Gabriel Byrne. Uh, this was interesting. Winona Ryder introduced Christian Bale to his future wife, C.B. Blazik, on the set of this movie. Uh, she was the uh, writer's personal assistant on this film. Mm -hmm. And they're still together, so... Good for them. They married in 2000 and been together since. Uh, Cl this is Claire Danes' feature film debut. Really? I had no idea about that. Yeah, I didn't know that. But yeah, this is her first uh, feature film. Uh, Winona Ryder, Susan Sarandon, and Claire Danes all wear wigs or hair pieces in this movie. I only said that just so it bothers everybody who watched <laughs> Now you can't not see it <laughs> as you're watching the movie. Um, you'll definitely see it with Winona Ryder. Yeah. Uh, hers is a full-on wig because she had very short hair at the time. Mm -hmm. Other the other ones they made, like I said, it said wigs or hair pieces. But the the person who did the wigs was a very prominent um, like wig maker and and makeup artist mm -hmm. um, who's very. They did all the Lord of the Rings. I can't remember. There was like Peter something. Um, they did like all the Lord of the Rings movies and have done all kinds mm -hmm. of stuff. But but yeah, three uh, all three of them had wigs. It remains a mystery to this day. Oh, a lot of these have been IMDb facts, but after the <laughs> 
Let's see. After the reviews, everything has been IMDb facts, so take all this with a grain of salt. It remains a mystery, according to the IMDb trivia section, why this movie is rated PG and not G. The MPAA description describes, quote, two scenes of strong language, but there are no swears in the movie or anything that is not appropriate to a family audience, according to whoever wrote this fun fact. Rumor has it, and this rumor, who knows, (laughs) this is rumor on IMDb trivia, that the studio pressured the MPAA to rate the film PG for the box office and marketing reasons so that could be sold to a teenage girl audience Mm. and not as like a kid's movie. Mm -hmm. Which actually, that kind of while a sense. rumor, totally makes yeah. sense. Like, yeah. if you get it to a PG rating, it at least feels a little bit more, it's like not clearly a kid's movie. Yeah. And so that uh, that totally makes sense. I don't know if it's true, but that I would buy it. And that's it. That's all the fun facts I had for Little Women 1994. Finally, we're going to tell you where you can watch it. As always, check your local library, or if you still have a local video rental store, check with them. Second... You can watch it free with ads through Amazon Prime. Oh, because it's IMDb TV. Yeah. It's that nonsense yeah. where it's, it's on Amazon Prime, but it's not actually on Amazon Prime because then it wouldn't have ads. It's on IMDb TV, but you can watch that through Amazon Prime. I don't even know. Whatever. So IMDb TV or Amazon Prime with ads. Or if you rent it for 3 to $4 on Amazon, you can watch it without ads. You can watch it on Hulu Plus with li- or Hulu Plus Live TV. Which, as you mentioned, this might also mean that it's streaming on cable somewhere, yeah, or something. You know, some channel might be running it. Yeah, so I, I didn't check for it, but if yeah, if you have the live TV upgrade through Hulu, you can watch it. So that, that yeah, it might mean it's running on some network like yeah, it has which it or wouldn't whatever. surprise me because it's holiday season. Yeah, so yeah, check out uh, if you have cable or Dish or whatever, and you know, you might be able to find it and record it and watch it that way. Um, or you can rent it from Vudu for $2.99 or YouTube, iTunes, or Google Play for $3.99. So those are all the ways you can watch Little Women 1994. I'm interested because I I wanted to see la- the 2019 mm-hmm. one. We just never got around to it for whatever I now, And now I'm kind of glad that I am, we didn't. Yeah. I am in retrospect glad that we didn't so that I'm going into this um, Very fresh. fresh. Yeah. Completely. Uh, and babe in the woods. Yes. I am very glad to see kind of how um, how I feel about everything, especially with some of your your setting up of mm-hmm. some of the more controversial aspects of the story. I'm really excited for you to see this. Um, it, it like utterly fascinates me that you know nothing about this story because the, it looms so large in my childhood. Yeah, it's so interesting to me. Well, if we ever do Hatchet, we'll have that. Those turned tables because, or did you read Hatchet? I didn't read Hatchet, but I know the premise of okay, Hatchet. Fair enough. Because <laughs> that was a huge part of my childhood with that book series. But yeah. Um, yeah, I, I, I think it'll be really interesting. I am really excited to see how it, uh, I'm sure I'll like it. Uh, it's got, I, I didn't realize that the 1994 version was so well reviewed. I thought mm-hmm. for some reason in my head, I thought it was sort of more like, middle oh, this is like, this is like a beloved classic yeah, i did not realize that yeah. I, I i was unaware of that for whatever reason um so yeah i i, I am excited I used to, to watch this with my cousins not every year but like most years yeah i would watch this with my cousins i actually found a picture of us watching it wow. when i was about 12 or 13 oh my goodness so be on the lookout for that on the oh social media <laughs> i'm looking very dorky <laughs> 
Uh, that's a good reminder that you can follow us on social media on Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, Goodreads, all those places. Uh, just search for This Film is Lit and you'll find us. Uh, and that helps you keep up to date with all the fun extra things uh, we post as well as our uh, fan reaction for episodes so we can get your feedback for these prequel episodes. You can also do us a giant favor. Head over to patreon.com slash this film is lit. Support us for two, five or 15 bucks a month. Or if you can't do that, uh, just head over to iTunes or Stitcher or whatever and uh, leave us a five-star review. We'd really appreciate it. Uh, and that's going to do it for this prequel episode. Until next time, guys, gals, not binary, everybody else. Keep reading books. Watching movies. And keep, keep being, being awesome. awesome.